Alright everyone, welcome to Brandon at Random Reviews. I am your host, Brandon Griffiths. Thank you for stopping by, I do appreciate it. Today on the show, we are going to talk about Up in the Air, released on December 23rd, 2009, directed by Jason Reitman. He also directed Thank You for Smoking with Aaron Eckhart. Pretty good movie, I've only seen it the one time, it didn't seem like it had a ton of rewatch value. He also did Juno, and that one has Alan Page and Michael Sarah. And unfortunately, my expectations with this one were that it was going to be like a Judd Apatow movie. So like when it definitely was not that, I really was not a fan. But I think if I went into it just knowing what it was going to be, maybe I'd like it better this time around. He did Ghostbusters Afterlife, and this one came out a couple years back, and it's it's an all right movie. Uh, the only thing I'll say about it is like, I mean, it's it's not like great, but there's there's a moment at the end, which by the way, if you haven't seen Ghostbusters Afterlife, I'm about to spoil something. So skip ahead 30 seconds if you don't want to know what happens. But at like the climax of the film, all of the original Ghostbusters come back and the only person that they couldn't have come back from the original Ghostbusters was Harold Ramis, who had passed on quite a while before that. And so they like brought him in as a fucking hologram or some shit. I don't fucking, it was, it was not a good look to me. Like it didn't, it didn't do like, it didn't do anything to have him like just in there. It could have just been without him. Like, or, you know, like they could have had his picture up on the wall or some fucking thing like that. But anyway, so for the writers, we have Jason Reitman, who also directed, as I mentioned, and Sheldon Turner. Now, Reitman wrote The Front Runner, and I had not heard of this movie until I started looking stuff up for this episode, and it actually sounds like a pretty interesting movie. It's about uh, this guy that was a presidential candidate in the late 80s, and he was like, apparently doing well and like it came out that he had had an affair and like it's all of like the fallout from that I guess but I think it could be an interesting one it's got Hugh Jackman in it and then for Turner he wrote the Longest Yard remake with Adam Sandler and company uh not a great movie just okay I mean he wrote the Texas Chainsaw Massacre the beginning which is a movie I'll probably never check out. I'm not even sure I was aware it existed until I was looking up stuff for this episode. And it's like, it just, it looks like it's shit. And he also did X-Men First Class, which is essentially like a prequel slash reboot of the X-Men series. And I liked, I liked First Class quite a bit. It was just like, uh, you got a lot of the stuff that was like prequely in it because it was, it was taking place before the movies you had already seen. So for the producers, we have Daniel Dubiecki, Jeffrey Clifford, Ivan Reitman, and Jason Reitman. Ivan Reitman is Jason Reitman's dad. Dubiecki produced Jennifer's Body with Megan Fox and I believe Amanda Seyfried. I think she was the other person in that movie. And that one, honestly, like I had the biggest crush on Megan Fox when uh, this movie came out. And it's just kind of like, I watched it and I was like, yeah, this isn't doing jack shit for me. Like, it's not scary. It's not even like, but it's got like a cult following now. And I don't really understand why. He also produced Please Stand By, which 
is one of these movies that I just stumbled upon when I was looking through streaming titles. And it's honestly like a really fucking good movie. Like there are a decent amount of good people in it. I don't know anybody else that's ever heard of the movie, but it's just, it's, it's about this, this girl and she's like on the spectrum and she lives at this home and she like leaves in the middle of the night and nobody knows where she went. And it's a, it's really cool. There's, there's a lot of inspiration in the movie and it's really well, well done. I, I mean, it's not like, you know, Oscar caliber or some shit like that, but who gives a shit about that? So Ivan Reitman, who I mentioned is the father of Jason Reitman, produced Stripes, which is a great Bill Murray, Harold Ramis, and John Candy comedy about these guys that join the army. And it's a funny movie. I've only seen it a few times. It it doesn't stand out like some of the other comedies of its type that I know he also produced Ghostbusters and I believe Ghostbusters 2. It's, uh, Ghostbusters is fucking great. I love Ghostbusters. I watch it usually like once a year around Halloween time. And it's, it's still very funny to me. Just everything is just really enjoyable with that movie. I, I can't complain about it in the least. And then last for the ones that I chose for him, he did Twins with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito and I like put off watching this movie. I assumed it was just like dumb and, you know, not worth watching. And then I finally broke down, I think it was like last year and put it on and I fucking loved it. I thought it was really funny and I thought it was like so fucking great the way they had it be like they were biological twins, but Arnold Schwarzenegger was the one who had been raised in a lab and he was like this perfect human being in a manner of speaking. And it's like, fucking great like i mean like danny devito is this fucking scumbag arnold schwarzenegger is all over the map with like he's just he doesn't know anything he doesn't he's very innocent and danny devito is like this shysty guy and all that stuff so for the score we have composer rolf kent he did the score for wedding crashers which is a pretty solid comedy i don't know if i went back and rewatched this movie right now if i'd enjoy it as much as I used to, but like, I think I would still have fun with it. And by the way, like Rachel McAdams in that movie, it's like, she is peak Rachel McAdams. Like she's got dark hair. I love her with dark hair. She's just fucking gorgeous, especially in that movie. Then he did Legally Blonde. And that one's, I actually like Legally Blonde. Uh, A lot of people look at it as like a chick flick or whatever you want to say. And it's like, it's it's funny. It's a it's an enjoyable movie. I'm actually not like a huge Reese Witherspoon fan. I don't have like anything particularly against her. I just I don't gravitate towards her movies and it's you know, it is what it is. He also did the score for Mean Girls and that one to me is like a modern classic. It's like it's such a funny comedy. It's like it's not like with many movies and I feel like I have to say this every time. It's not perfect, but there are so many great bits in it and quotable lines and moments and things like that, that it's like, I I really fucking love Mean Girls, honestly. And then last but not least, with the ones I chose for him, he did the theme song to the show Dexter, and I think I've only ever seen half of the first episode of that show, and I like, I don't know, immediately lost interest, so... 
I, I've never seen any more of it. I'm sure there are going to be some rabid Dexter fans that insist that I give it another try. I don't give a shit. Okay, so for the cast, we have George Clooney, who plays Ryan Bingham. He was in Michael Clayton, and I put off watching that one for a while, and finally broke down and saw it, and it was just okay. I I, I could have gone without seeing it. He was in Good Night and Good Luck, and that's a solid movie. I haven't seen it in a very long time, but I purchased it recently on digital, and I hope to get around to watching it sometime soon. Uh, he was in the movie Ocean's Eleven, previously covered on this podcast, and I love Ocean's Eleven. I've said all I really need to say about that movie. It's fucking great. It's a great heist movie, all that stuff. And last but not least, he was in Batman and Robin, previously covered on this podcast, and let me just say, I don't think there's anything that needs to be said that hasn't already been said about how bad of a movie Batman and Robin is. And on top of that, I fucking hate the people that like to swoop in and talk about, oh, well, I actually kind of like that one. And it's like, no, you're a fucking idiot. That's why. That's that's why you like that. Moving on, we have Vera Farmiga, who I have noted here is super hot. And, you know, a lot of people have told me that she's not particularly attractive. And I don't really understand that. Anyway... She plays Alex Gorin, and she was in The Departed, and that was probably the first movie I saw her in. That's previously covered on this podcast as well, and love The Departed. Check out that episode, you know, hear all I have to say about it. She was in The Conjuring, and I find horror movies funny, because, like, I liked The Conjuring. I saw it in theaters. I thought it was pretty good, but it's, like, the bar for me, for a horror movie to be good, it's so... It's so much higher than, like, an average movie, I feel like. to Like, to even have it be watchable. Because it's, like, essentially for me, most of the time, if the movie is not scary enough, it's like, what are we doing here, you know? So, next up is Safe House. She was in that with Ryan Reynolds and Denzel Washington, who apparently pronounces his name Denzel. And he, like, said this on, like, uh, a late-night talk show and he just, like, doesn't correct people or something. Anyway, this movie was solid. I think I probably hyped it up too much for myself, and it wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be, but it was still a pretty good movie. And last but not least, she was in Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and I really, I think that these Godzilla and Kong movies are really good. I, I know that they're not, like, winning any awards and all that shit, but it's like, they're good popcorn movies, they're entertaining, they're a fun watch. I don't have anything against them, I I find them enjoyable. Next up, we have Anna Kendrick, who I have noted here is also hot. She plays Natalie Keener, and she was in the movie Pitch Perfect, and Pitch Perfect, man, that film series is just bizarre to me. Like, I remember when it came out... I was working at an apartment complex in Marquette and there was a married couple that owned the apartment complex that were my bosses and they had like a daughter that was kind of close to my age and we all happened to be in the office one time and they were talking about the movie and I hadn't even heard of it. Like I didn't even know what it was and as soon as they found out I hadn't seen it, they were like, oh my God, you got to check that movie out. It's so amazing. And Okay, and like as they're describing it, I'm thinking to myself, this movie, there's no fucking way this movie is my kind of movie. Anyway, 
I watched it. It was fucking weird. Like, there were some enjoyable parts here and there. And I like the cup song with Anna Kendrick, but like, no thanks. I, I'm not a big fan. She was in the movie 50-50 with Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Seth Rogen. And I really enjoy 50-50. It's a very serious movie, but it has a decent amount of comedy. And it's about Joseph Gordon-Levitt is this guy that is, he's a young guy and he's super healthy and he still gets cancer. And so like, he's essentially like dealing with everything that comes with that. And there are all these things that change in his life because of it. And it's, I, it's just really, it's really good. There's a lot of great moments in it. And then she was in the Twilight Saga. And I figure like a while back, I was thinking to myself, you know, a lot of people talk shit about these Twilight movies. And I don't know if that's really fair because I've never seen any of the Twilight movies. So I watched at least the first one. I honestly can't remember if I watched any more of them. And let me just say, now I just have a more educated way to give people shit for saying that they like Twilight because, no, not good. And last but not least for her, she was in a movie called End of Watch, which was directed by the guy who directed Training Day, and it's got Jake Gyllenhaal and Michael Pena in it, and I really like it. It's shot like it's an episode of Cops, basically, but it's it's got some pretty fucking serious subject matter, and I mean, they're just like, you know, regular police officers, you know, they're not like detectives. They're like responding to calls and shit like that. So I really like that one. It's, it's definitely one that I was surprised by when I finally checked it out. And then we have Jason Bateman who plays Craig Gregory. And by the way, ridiculous fucking name, Craig Gregory. What the fuck is that? Anyway, Jason Bateman was in Arrested Development and for my money, the original three seasons of Arrested Development are some of the funniest, best TV I've ever seen. I fucking love it. And like I laugh every time. I rewatch it regularly. It's a really good time. And it's 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 just there's a lot of funny jokes and silly things, and it's absolutely right up my alley. I don't like the newer seasons so much, but whatever. And he was in The Switch with Jennifer Aniston. And honestly, I don't even really remember much about that movie other than the premise. And it's it's forgettable. It's not great. He was in Horrible Bosses. And I that's like a dark comedy. And I don't really, I don't know. I don't really think much of that one. Like, I, I don't hate it, and but I don't like really, really love it either. And he was also in Game Night, which was previously covered on my blog, and I really liked Game Night. I was kind of surprised because the reviews were pretty mixed, but it's got a lot of good people in it, and the, the story is interesting, and it's it's decently funny throughout, and it, I felt like it was a really good time. It was definitely uh, not one I regretted watching at the very least. And then, by the way, several other notable actors appear in smaller roles, including Danny McBride, Zach Galifianakis, J.K. Simmons, and Sam Elliott. So for casting notes, director Jason Reitman suggested that many of the characters, especially the major roles, were written specifically with the actors that were ultimately cast in mind. This was questioned by some of the cast as it was pretty well known that he had been meeting with other actors throughout the casting process for those exact same roles. And it's like, I get it. Like, it sounds really good when you say, 
you got the cast you wanted. You got the cast that you wrote the script for and it turned out so well. But if it's not like wholly true, then don't fucking say that. So apparently approximately 4,600 people applied to be extras in the film. And I don't know exactly how much of this movie was on location. I didn't dig that deep, but I can only assume that that's why there were so many people that applied because there's no, there's not like any scenes where there are like really, there's airport scenes and stuff like that where there are people, but not enough to get 4,600 applications. So like, I'm assuming it was because if they were doing a bunch of on location shoots, they needed a bunch of different extras from a bunch of different locations. Jason Reitman stated that if George Clooney had passed on the role of Ryan Bingham, he would have rewritten the part so that Steve Martin could play it, and wow, it would have been a way fucking different movie if that were the case. For the plot synopsis, a man who works for a firm that companies hire to handle firing their employees has his life on the road shaken up by a love interest as well as a young new co-worker with a different approach to the business. For the tagline, so for the longest time, you know, when I started doing this podcast, it was like, I kind of had like, a, I, I like would try and make the, my notes the same. And then I slowly converted to like a template for my notes so that the structure of the episodes would be very similar or the same with every episode. And then I tweak it, add, remove, whatever the stuff that was on there. And like, I, I've added things here and there in the last several months. But like one thing I added is the tagline and I can only ever usually find these on IMDb, but I mean like, Oh my God, all of these fucking taglines for up in the air are trash. So the first one is the story of a man ready to make a connection arriving this December. That's really not a tagline, but from Paramount Pictures comes the story of a man ready to make a connection. Arriving soon. That, it's like they're all trying to be wordplay for like air travel. And they all suck. Like it's it, horribly executed. Like not a good job. Alright guys, let's just dive right into the plot of this fucking movie. So... I feel like maybe the opening credits and the song that plays through them is maybe a little off tone with the rest of the movie. It's like, it's it plays almost as a comedy, like a lighthearted comedy, and it's totally not that. But we get all of these people reacting to being fired by Ryan, who was hired by their companies because Ryan is very good at handling these situations and de-escalating a lot of the emotions that come with it. So he has these charming little things that he says to try and make people feel better and look at their termination differently. So as he leaves one of the firings of a character played by Zach Galifianakis, Ryan shares a bit about who he is and how he lives every day. He spends a lot of time air traveling since the firm that he works for is not always close to the companies that he's, he's doing the firings for. Ryan is doing motivational speaking to a small audience in like a hotel banquet room of some sort. So while getting a drink at a bar, Ryan has a flirty back and forth with a beautiful woman named Alex and they both travel a lot. So they talk a lot about what they like in airlines and car rentals and hotels and things like that. They empty their different cards on the table, all of these membership cards that they have. Alex sees Ryan's 
American Airlines concierge key card, which is awarded to big time frequent flyers. And I mean, I, I've gathered that you have to like spend like over fifty thousand dollars a year on air travel to with with the same airline to get this fucking card. So naturally, they bang it out because they have a lot in common. And let's face it, they're both absurdly attractive people. So why the fuck not? They really enjoy their time together with all the banging and try to line up their next trip to Poundtown. Ryan's back on the road and his sister calls him and asks him to do the favor of taking multiple photos at different locations and landmarks for his other sister's wedding that's coming up with a cardboard cutout of the soon-to-be-married couple so it looks like they were there. Ryan is doing voiceover and mentions how much he hates being at home. It's like he just really wants to constantly be on the move and just he really likes the setup he has and to come home just sucks so he goes to the company's office for a meeting where the audience is reminded by the boss craig just how shitty things were in 2008 and 2009 economy wise not to mention the other terrible shit that happened around then like indiana jones in the kingdom of the crystal skull kanye west stealing taylor swift's moment when i think it was the vmas and he came up on stage and like just took the wind out of her sails and shit the tv shows glee and jersey shore were premiering on tv and avatar Anyway, Craig introduces new girl Natalie, who has created a solution to the firm's issues with excessive cost and time for travel. She rolls out the notion of doing things remotely via a video conferencing program on the computer. Naturally, Ryan is upset by losing the setup that he has, and he can see it just all crumbling. Jason Bateman really does play a good, believable, cutthroat asshole boss. I really like him in this. Natalie appears and Ryan tries to poke holes in her idea, mostly pointing out the disadvantages involved in remote interaction. It's like that in-person thing is pretty important to what they do. Craig forces Ryan to take Natalie on the road to show her the ropes, more or less. And boom, we get a brief non-speaking Ashton Kutcher cameo as Natalie's boyfriend dropping her off at the airport. Ryan forces Natalie to buy a non-shitty suitcase and walks her through his views on how to navigate different experiences in air travel. It's clear that veteran Ryan and rookie Natalie have very different views and approaches to their business. Alex calls Ryan and wants to hook up again. Natalie gets some real exposure to what firing multiple people in person is like. So Ryan's running the firings and J.K. Simmons pops up. That guy's always fucking amazing. Like, and by the way, in case you were wondering, his real name is Jonathan Kimball Simmons. So it's not like a Michael J. Fox situation. And if you don't know what I mean by that, look at the fuck up. Natalie decides that as JK's firing is taking a turn for the worse, that she's going to chime in to try and make it better, and it really goes poorly, but Ryan seemingly saves it. Afterward, Ryan and Natalie talk over dinner, and we see how different their lives and views are beyond the differences they have at work. There's a big age gap, and it's just kind of like a lot of that shines through when they talk to, get to each other. So Ryan has all of these frequent flyer miles that he never uses because he's saving to get to 10 million. But I really don't understand the miles, honestly. Would he actually earn miles that he could use if the company was paying his way for basically all of these flights? 
sure, they probably had to put flights in his name, but is there not like an ethical issue with him earning the miles and being able to use them for personal flights? Anyway, at another company where they're doing firings, Natalie insists on trying to do one herself. The woman she goes to fire is very snippy and responds to Natalie's deflections and discussion of her future by saying that she plans to kill herself by jumping off a bridge, and Natalie, of course, freaks the fuck out about it. Ryan assures Natalie that these things happen and not to worry about it. Alex and Ryan meet to fuck again. Watching all these people react to being fired feels so real, which I'll talk about a little bit later. So... Ryan speaks at another event, and it's this motivational speaking type stuff, and he talks about, he uses this metaphor of, like, filling a backpack with all of this stuff in your life, and then, like, how it, you know, how much it's going to weigh on you and all that stuff. Anyway, on a bus, Natalie questions Ryan about his lack of desire to get married or have kids or even find love. As they go into a hotel, they're still talking about love and Natalie just breaks down crying and reveals that her boyfriend broke up with her by text. Alex appears and they all go to get a drink and talk and they're kind of giving her a pep talk and we find out more about Natalie's now tragic backstory and how she relocated to Omaha to be with the now ex. And of course, I mean, the fact that it's Omaha... Ryan actually makes mention of the fact, like, you fucking moved to Omaha for a guy. Like, you're you're going to Nebraska for a guy. They try and make her feel better, but it seems like they kind of make it worse, honestly. Later that night, they go crash a convention, and Natalie has very little social awareness, it would seem. She just makes these comments to Ryan and Alex that are just not great things to say or ways to say them. Like, perfect example. Like, she, she... tells Alex that she's what Natalie would like to look like in 15 years. And it's like, you're basically telling her that she's way older than you. Like, not not a good look. So like I said, they're crashing this convention and old school rapper Young MC makes a guest appearance at the convention and really elevates this movie, of course, because when... You got a movie with with Clooney and you know, all these other people. It's like it's not quite there. You know, you, you're not you're not getting exactly what you want. But it's like holy shit, Young MC is here. Like he he had time. He, he made time for this this moment. So Natalie goes and sings "Time After Time" by Cyndi Lauper at karaoke, while Alex and Ryan go outside and just kind of hang out by the pool. Real feelings appear to be growing between Alex and Ryan, and Ryan is having Natalie pose the cutout at another landmark for a picture the next day, I think it is, maybe. And Natalie pries into Ryan's situation with Alex and chastises him for isolating himself from people so much. So they kind of smooth their little spat over as they arrive at this Detroit company, and Ryan warns Natalie that this one is going to be tough. When they arrive, Craig tells them from a computer that they'll be testing the app with the Detroit employees and they'll be video conferencing to the employees from separate rooms to see how it works. Craig pressures Natalie to take the firings on by herself, essentially, and the flaws in the impersonal setup for the app really come through, but she does okay, actually. Like, she doesn't do a bad job. After that, Ryan gets word that they have been directed to come back to their home base for good and switch to video conferencing 
for all of their firings. As the two of them go to fly out, Ryan bails out of nowhere to go see Alex as Natalie just heads back. Ryan wants Alex to be his date to his sister's wedding, and they go to the rehearsal dinner and see the other sister, Julie, that we hadn't met yet. The The other sister that isn't getting married is the one that called him earlier to ask him to take the pictures. And we meet her fiancé, Jim, and it turns out the couple wanted the pictures with the cutout at all the locations to make up for not being able to afford a honeymoon. And we learn that with Ryan being so absent from his family's lives, he's not close enough to be included in the ceremony or preparations. And Alex and Ryan go and break into Ryan's old school, and the sister, who isn't getting married, calls and says Jim has cold feet and she needs Ryan to talk to him. And so they stop what they're doing with breaking into the school, and they leave and go back to to talk to this guy. So... So Jim is very anxious over the prospect of all the huge life events to come, and Ryan struggles to find the words of encouragement for him because he's it's not his thing. You know, like he he's he's gotta convince this guy that getting married and having kids and, and having that life is like a good idea, despite him not really feeling that way, seemingly, at least not for himself. And so it's like Ultimately, he tells Jim that the happiest moments of his life likely have been and will be around people. So, Ryan has this nice final line where he says, everyone needs a co-pilot, and Jim's like, that was a nice touch. And the wedding is back on, and it seems like Ryan and Alex are really falling for each other. Like, they really got that look in their eyes. And so, when they have to part ways, it's established that since Ryan's not traveling anymore... Him and Alex have a very uncertain future. It's not clear when they'll ever see each other again or if they'll keep in touch or what's going to go on with that. So Ryan's firm is implementing the full remote firing program and Ryan is speaking to another crowd and struggling to get through motivational speaking. And he just leaves midway through and excitedly goes to surprise visit Alex where she lives in Chicago. When she answers the door, the smile fades from Ryan's face as it's revealed that Alex has a husband and kids, and you can hear them in the background, but they never actually see Ryan out there. And he basically just leaves, and she doesn't even say anything to him at all, and no one in the house actually catches a glimpse of him, and her husband asks who was at the door, and she just says, some guy that was lost or something. Later on, she calls and berates Ryan for almost destroying her life by just showing up like that, and she thought of him like he was really just an escape from her real life. She didn't see anything serious going on there, and obviously Ryan did not feel the same way. So Ryan is crushed by that experience, of course, and he's flying back when they announce over the intercom that he hit his 10 million frequent flyer mile mark, and... He has a talk with the pilot who tells him that he's the youngest to reach the milestone and Ryan reflects on how this anticipation of this moment that he had seemed to show how important and satisfying he thought it might be, but that's just not coming through here after all that's happened to him recently. So Ryan comes back to the firm and calls to transfer a ton of his miles to Julie and Jim to give them a honeymoon essentially and at least you hope that they'll be able to use it like it's he gives them a ton of fucking miles and Craig comes in to talk to Ryan about an incident where a woman Natalie fired 
killed herself and wants to know if Ryan remembers anything from the firings. And he says no, but it it feels like he does remember. And it's clear that it was the woman that told Natalie she was going to jump off a bridge and she actually did it. So Natalie apparently quit because of this and we see her in an interview with another company and she's kind of explaining how she got where she is and all this stuff. And Ryan has actually provided a recommendation letter that helps her get the job and he just says nothing but good things about her. So Ryan packs and follows Natalie's advice from earlier about going to the airport and just picking a location and using his miles to go wherever he wants to. Then we roll credits. It's a pretty solid ending. I like the way it goes. Like, it's not like it's all sunshine and lollipops, you know? It's like there's there's some there's some things that happen that are not, like, super lighthearted. So praise for this movie. I love the performances and cast in this one so fucking much. All doing a great job. All very well cast. It's got a great message with a lot of great character development. Like, it's just... It, it does such a good job. Like, the, these people really, like, evolve. And it, it's really cool. Like, I, I just... I don't know. I, It's great. So, the people talking about getting fired is pretty fucking gripping. Uh, and, I'll, and I've got, like, two more bullet points until I explain why it's so gripping. And Anna Kendrick and Vera Farmiga are also... If I forgot to mention this, so very fucking good looking that it it kind of pisses me off a little bit. Anyway, criticism, it's really good, guys. I like it. I really like this movie. I don't have a lot of bad things to say about it. I'm sure there are flaws in it, but like they're the flaws that this movie needs, I guess, If if and I, I can't even recognize them. Okay, so for trivia, a large number of people we see fired in the film are not actors, but people who were recently laid off. The filmmakers put out ads in St. Louis and Detroit posing as a documentary crew looking to document the effect of the recession. When people showed up, they were instructed to treat the camera like the person who fired them and respond as they did or use the opportunity to say what they wished they had said. A way to discern who are the actors and who are the real people is that the real people do not have dialogue with George Clooney or Anna Kendrick as they were shot separately and it's it they make it sound like they didn't they didn't necessarily want to have like the real people because like you're not going to get a, a real reaction from those people or like an honest answer if you're sitting there like especially with like Clooney who was much more established at this time it's like they're going to be sitting there talking and George Clooney's going to be sitting in the room and then all of a sudden it's like they've got to act they're not like just talking like normal Vera Farmiga used a body double for her nude scene. In an interview, she stated that she has no problem being naked in a film, but she had recently given birth and the breast milk running down would have been inappropriate. Jason Reitman began writing the screenplay in 2002 when the economy was booming and planned to make it as his first feature. But the opportunity to make Thank You for Smoking and Juno presented themselves, and he put this off until 2009. Meanwhile, America plummeted into an economic recession, and he said that the film's tone changed completely in response to the real-world crisis and worked much better as a topical piece than it ever would have a decade earlier. So for IMDb Nuggets, like, for those that aren't familiar, I I don't get these every episode. It's just like, these shitty IMDb trivia items that I like find and they're like really stupid to me. And I, 
I don't know. I mean, I, I could be wrong. But uh, So the IMDb nugget is, when Ryan is pinning his first picture to the honeymoon board, the photo to the right of it is the silhouette of the windmill Dizwan from Holland, Michigan. I, I know about this windmill. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce the name of it. Uh, the photo is pinned to Champaign, Illinois, so it is one state south from its real location. Uh-huh. Okay, so, I mean, there's a ton of pictures on this board. He even points out that he had trouble finding room to pin this picture up there. I don't know that that's worth pointing out, buddy. Okay, so on to info and ratings. We have a runtime of 109 minutes. This movie is rated R by the Motion Picture Association of America. Budget, $25 million. Opening weekend, $1.2 million. Worldwide gross, $166.8 million. IMDb rating, 7.4. Rotten Tomato Critics score, 90%. Rotten Tomato Audience score, 79%. Personal rating, 5 out of 5 stars. I know I give way too many 5-star reviews, but I don't give a fuck. Eat shit. Anyway, uh, that's all I got for today, guys. I, I just, I mean, I really wanted to talk about this movie. I was trying to make it more of a departure. Like, the last couple episodes, it's like the beginning of this season, I, I started off with, like, superhero movies, and I did action movies. You know, it's just like, I, I kind of wanted to get get into this uh, realm of movies, so that's why I did it. All right, everyone. Well, I hope you have a good rest of your day. Bye now. Brandon at Random Reviews artwork, theme music, and podcast are written, performed, recorded, engineered, directed, and produced by Brandon Griffiths in association with Brandon at Random Reviews Entertainment. 